Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Hello and welcome to Market View. Joining me on the line today is Mr. Jerome Tay, Investment Analyst of Asian Fixed Income Team at Aberdeen, and that's spelled A-B-R-D-N. Hi, Jerome. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for joining us, please. Okay, let's go straight to the point, okay? The final Q1 2021 GDP for Singapore turned out better than initial estimates, um, but the MTI uh, is being quite cautious on the external environment and says now that growth is expected to come in at the lower half of the 3 to 5% range for 2022. Okay, where do you stand on this in terms of optimism and pessimism? With one being very, very pessimistic, six being very, very optimistic, where are you in the range? I'm actually at four. So um, if we recall, um, I think you were referring to first quarter 2022's GDP. Um, indeed, the MCI <laughs> had turned... No, no problem. Indeed, the MCI had turned much more cautious of growth this time around on the back of concerns around external environment as well as the first sequential contraction in the manufacturing sector since last, the start of last year. This resulted in the MPI to lower the expectations for full-year growth to come in around the lower half of the initial 3 to 5% forecast range. So I, I rated a 4 because um, just given the high uncertainty around external headwinds, I believe it's not just MPI, but most policymakers globally are turning cautious and prudent in their forecast. And clearly, um, this is the same for MTR as well. So if you recall last year, they were prudent on their growth forecast, which eventually got upgraded several times after clarity emerged. And the final upgrade also came much later than what market had expected. Mm. So I think the approach this time is the same. And it's important to note that several key drivers have not been fully paid out in the first quarter yet. Uh, which therefore supports my positivity in the Singapore economy. You know, your rating sounds actually like uh, what the MTI stand is, which is kind of like, you know, cautious, but leaning on the optimistic side, right? Okay, yeah. what, are, what are some of these um, tailwinds that you're seeing? And, and uh, where do you see growth coming in uh, by the end of the year? Yeah, so to name a few, firstly, uh, you know, just being placed locally here, the COVID fears, COVID fears have minimized drastically and domestic restrictions have been significantly so alongside the tight labour market that we are seeing right now, that should be supportive of wages growth and in turn, be channeled into stronger domestic demand moving forward. And secondly, um, borders restrictions have also is significantly, we should see the return of tourism benefiting the growth substantially mm. from the second quarter of this year. So if I can talk about some statistics on tourist arrivals as of April, the number of visitors in the first four months this year had already exceeded the entire 2021 arrival by a huge 64%. So more notably, the number of arrivals in April alone had more than doubled the expected, um, sorry, the cumulative arrivals um, between January to March. And last but not least, the construction sector is something that we should focus as well. Mm. Um, activities are expected to see a stronger momentum on the back of easing restrictions, as well as the rollover of the late projects over the past two years. Mm. So um, just... Moving into this year, uh, we already see indicators reflected a stronger sequential growth of 23% in the public and private construction contracts awarded in the first quarter. Mm. And um, while I remain cautious of external headwinds, 
actually do remain positive and expect full-year growth to increase slightly north of 4% this year. Okay, well, let's talk about the dirty I word, inflation, right? Domestic <laughs> inflation printed under market expectations, uh, contracting by 0.1% month-on-month for the first time in eight months. Uh, that was just released uh, earlier this week, right? Uh, what are your thoughts on inflation and, and do you think it has peaked or when do you think, if not yet, when do you think it might peak? Yeah, so I think um, for both people around us, for the listeners, uh, oil fuel prices is definitely something that is pressing at the moment. <laughs> I mm. think it's still early to say that inflation has peaked now with mm. just one data point. Mm. What's important is to note that inflationary pressures are still very elevated at this point. Apart from the rising oil prices or or rather on elevated oil prices, food inflation in particular, which accounts for about 21% of the CPI basket, mm. had actually spiked very sharply to 4.1% year-on-year in April, compared mm. to 26 earlier in January. Moreover, um, inflationary pressures had also become much more broad-based relative to the start of this year. And if we look from MES perspective, although they do not have an explicit inflation target, but they have stated that a core inflation rate of just under 2% will be consistent to price stability. Mm. And with that, if we look at the, the core CPI basket itself, the number of line items that have inflationary had an inflation more than 2% has already increased significantly um, in April compared to January. And looking at April's data itself, the core CPI continued to rise to 10-year high of 3.3% year-on-year, mm-hmm. and that brought the average year-to-date core inflation to about 2.7%. And this is, you know, comparing this to MES core inflation um, target of 25 to 3.5%, the year-to-date core inflation is actually still at the lower end of the forecast range. Mm. Hence, against the backdrop of imported inflation as well as prolonged tightness in the domestic labour market, which mm. I would expect to persist, mm-hmm. um, this would continue to drive inflationary pressure at least into the end of the quarter this year before mm. we start seeing prices peak. Okay, so what do you see um, MES uh, whipping out of its toolbox, right, um, <laughs> you know, to help manage all these? I, I think there's one point of view that suggests that um, MES might work on our currency. Yeah, so unlike the rest of the central bank, MAS controls the monetary policy by um, the controlling the senior bank. Mm. So if we look at really growth versus inflation, I believe that MAS will prioritize inflation over growth. Although I do expect inflation pressures to persist from here, we have to consider and take into account that MAS has been brilliant, quick in tightening preemptively since October last year. So mm. they, rose, um, they raised the senior slope um, by about we estimate to be about 50 bits. And this was followed by another um, tightening move um, via an inter-meeting in January. Not only that, uh, coming into April this year, we saw MES um, actually went more aggressive mm. and conducted mm. a dual tightening move, yes. whereby they raised the mid-band as well as recentering the, the, the main band itself. Mm. So in my base case, although I do expect the inflationary pressure to persist, um, mm. I do expect MES to tighten monetary policy again later this year by appreciating the slope of senior policy bank by another 50 to 100 bits. Mm. So the, the, the dual action uh, policy moves, right, by the MAS, uh, was it last month, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Have we begun seeing the effects of those actions or would that take perhaps a couple more months for it to realise? I'm, I'm just wondering, like, the situation we're seeing now, is this already the better situation or can we expect things to improve, uh, you know, given the, the moves that were taken recently? That's a very good question, actually. Um, I think for any monetary policies, um, it does take time for it to reset. And um, looking at the, the, the moves since April to now, it's only about one to two months. 
um, I don't think that it's, it's really um, enough to see the effect of this policy being taken into effect. Or and like I think like inflation, inflationary pressure still elevated at this point. I don't think it's picking, mm. but it will continue to take some time to see mm. how the um, prices continue mm. uh, to to increase or, or start to stabilize. Mm-hmm. And hence, um, the next meeting is actually scheduled in October, which I don't expect any of the meeting in mm-hmm. this case. Mm-hmm. So to be clear, these actions are not expected to reverse what we're seeing in terms of inflation. Uh, what it might be able to do is to stem it, mitigate uh, the seriousness of it going forward, right? Yeah, I think the priority is to mitigate and to control inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it will start to bring prices down, I think we also have to take into account of um, the more disadvantageous based effect moving into the later part of this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that should eventually help to um, curb some of the inflationary pressure as well on a year-on-year basis. Okay, you should see me right now. My my brows are furrowed. I'm like really worried. You know? yeah. <laughs> okay, let's shift gears. Okay, let's let's look at the the, uh, the worrisome stuff overseas, right? <laughs> Which unfortunately will also you know have trickle effect on us. Okay, let's look at US, right? Uh, May's Fed minutes were released last night. Uh, within your expectations, and, and and you know from the tone of it, how do you think um, US policy rates uh, would uh, move by the year end? Yeah, so if you look at the release of minutes last night, uh, the the reaction from the market wasn't an entire risk of boost. In fact, it was pretty stable, I would say. Um, there wasn't really much surprise in, in last night's meeting, actually. Moving into the recent months, I think the, the Fed, in particular, Powell, had become much more clearer in the Fed policy guidance. And this had better aligned market expectations with regards to the Fed's assessment. No, of course, we can debate whether the Fed is behind the curve or no, the market is pricing way ahead. But I think what is clear from him is that the Fed's top priority right now is to reduce the pace of inflation and front-loading of rate hikes will allow the community to better assess the effects of policy adjustments moving forward. So for the rest of this year, um, just post the policy uh, the minutes last night, um, my view actually hasn't changed much. Um, I still expect the Fed to front-load rate hikes by 50 bits in both June and July policy meetings. But start to eventually scale back the pace of rate hikes to 25 bits at each of the remaining three meetings to let economic data reflect these changes before deciding if more aggressive moves Okay. And um, in this environment where we see the US, we see most Asian economies raising interest rates, um, as a bond investor navigating risks, right, um, where do you see opportunities in bonds uh, for such an environment? Yeah, so um, I think my, my um, role is really in the local currency bond market side. And in that, in that field, we actually saw local currency bonds move very aggressively to price inflation, as well as policy rate risk. So while inflation remains elevated, I think it's key to point out that the characteristics within the local currency bond markets are actually not all the same. So if we look at Asia versus US, um, they are all differently driven. Some Asian countries with the likes of Singapore and Korea had already started their tightening cycle last year, which was way before the Fed actually did. And I think the difference in approach here is preemptive by them versus uh, more um, reactive to data approach by the Fed. And not only that, conversely, in China, growth concerns will continue to see the PDOC running an independent monetary easing, which will continue to be supportive to both bonds as well as preference for duration. And lastly, if we recall back in 2020, what the Fed did was really um, aggressively flooding the market with liquidity, while mm. central banks were relatively more prudent on this aspect. Mm. Therefore, um, moving into the current scenario now, Asian central banks can actually afford to tighten liquidity in a less aggressive manner mm-hmm. relative to what the Fed did. 
and arguably with most of this inflation and policy risk being factored into the rates market, this really creates um, value as well as opportunities for investors like us to allocate capital, especially given the attractiveness in bond yields, be it in, in higher yields like India, uh, India, Indonesia, or the you know the relatively stable and low yields like Singapore, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at the same time, sorry, just at the same time, I think Greece has also tilted towards the upside. This is important to stress given the negativity that has been priced in of late. So if commodity on inflationary pressures do surprise and pick earlier than expected, that would actually give us another leg of upside to gain. Okay. Well, I, 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 we have just a couple of more minutes to go. So I need to ask you this. I can't let you go without asking you, the, you for some <laughs> guidance, some wisdom, some tips, you know, uh, to retail investors, right, in this uh, volatile market, uh, market. And they're looking at, you know, the stocks that they have in the portfolio all going in the red. <laughs> what would your advice be? Yeah, I think my advice wouldn't just be focused on the retail investor, but for every investor, including the institutional side. Okay. The short-term volatility will likely remain for now. And I think it will be very difficult for investors to ca- capture each pick and bottom accurately in such a short-term country frame. Uh, short time frame. Um, in a world today, um, you know, uh, it is characterized by various risk factors. And, and what investors really want is to be allocating to a region, not only with growth, but also managed by policymakers who are both prudent and proactive uh, in policymaking. And this is really where Asia is essentially positioned at. Mm. And... Um, the approach from an investor, what I would encourage is for investors to start focusing on fundamentals and invest for the long term to ride out this wave of short-term volatility. Ultimately, like I mentioned earlier, short-term volatility do create attractive value and opportunities for long-term yes, yes, yes. And just very quickly, revise, uh, give us a revision, quick revision. Uh, fundamentals you're referring to? Uh, the long-term, mm-hmm. fundamentals, mm-hmm. Um as well as, uh, I think it's, it's, it's and, and looking for a region where it's positioned with growth, mm-hmm. as well as managed by prudent and proactive policymakers. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for that very quick 30-second crash course. Jerome, great to have you on the show. I hope we didn't take you too long away from your lunch. Um, thank you. And, and if you haven't Not eaten yet, bon appétit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Marisa. Thank sure. you. We've been speaking with Jerome Tay, investment analyst, uh, Asian fixed income team at Aberdeen. Please stay with us right here on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.